a family in Italy breaks out the Ouija board. It's all fun and games until the cops kick down your door. Then we travel to Russia to take a look at a bizarre story of a man who claims he was abducted by aliens and not taken aboard a spaceship, but taken to a swamp full of zombies. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys had a great, great weekend. We got a lot of stuff to cover today, so we're going to go ahead and get started here. First off, I want to give a shout out to a supporter of the show behind the scenes. This guy has helped me out a lot recently. I really, really appreciate it. Took care of a task that I myself couldn't have done. I can't really say who he is or what he does. I can't tell you what his job is. It's very sensitive. But there was a particular issue that I needed help with, and this gentleman helped me out. So Joe from Portland. Joe from Portland. Let's salute him, actually. We're saluting this guy. This guy is an American hero. I'm not saying that facetiously. He's a he's a really good dude, and um, I can't tell you guys fully what's going on behind the scenes, but he helped out a lot. So, you done? We're done. Salute. Joe's all embarrassed. He's like, guys, quit saluting. Quit saluting me. We're still saluting him. <laughs> Wipe away a single tear. Where's his parade? Damn it. Where's Joe's parade? No, he's really, really a good guy. Thank you for helping. Helped me out. Helped the show out, so he helped you guys out as well. Joe, let's hop aboard the Carpenter Copter. We're going for a flight. Now, this is a request from Fabio via email. So, Fabio, really, really appreciate that. Let's bring that Carpenter Copter nice and low. We're coming over the Italian countryside. We're specifically headed to a place called Monza. Monza, Monza. Everyone's just eating the whole time. It's the town of gluttons. That's Monza, isn't it? Same thing. Anyways, I'm sure the words mean the exact same thing. They sound alike. We're flying over this town. It's July 8th, 2013. So, Joe, let's land that Carpenter Copter. We hop out of the Carpenter Copter, and we see a bunch of Italian police officers run past the Carpenter Copter. And now we're in Italian police uniforms as well, because we're going to blend in. We're walking with the cops and stuff like that. The cops walk up to this house, and they're like, Italian police, open up! And you just hear a ruckus upstairs. <laughs> it sounds it sounds like some people are just making weird noises. <laughs> the Italian police are looking at each other and they're like, "You ready to go in?" And we're like, "Manja." And the the cops are like, "Okay." He's hungry, but that's the only word he knows in Italian, so that works too. And we're getting ready to breach. See, I know law enforcement terms. Now we're going to rewind to get to why the police are here. So, you like you like the little cliffhanger? That I gave away in the opening when I told you why the cops are here. It doesn't matter. The police are sitting in their office and the phone rings. Ring, 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 ring. Italian 911, what's your emergency? And these people are like, dude, this is totally sucks. There's this family. I'm living next to this family, right? Totally normal people. Father, he's a bank employee. He's 53 years old. He has a wife who's 43. She's his housewife. And they have a 13-year-old daughter. And... These dudes are, like, throwing a big old ruckus up in their attic. And then the 911 goes, that's not how you pronounce it. It's attic. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The point is, don't correct my grammar. The point is, is that they're making a bunch of noise, and I'm afraid something's going on. So, Italian police hang up the Italian phone, and they go, let's go. They drive out, and now we're back to where we are. So we're standing with all these Italian police. We're getting ready to breach this building. And kick the door in. And then we're running up the stairs because we know the noise is coming from the attic. We're standing outside the attic door at this point. 
and you hear people inside the attic. At <laughs> damn it, we hear people inside the room in the roof, and they're going, "I am the goddess of love, Hitler. I am the goddess of love, Hitler." <laughs> That's not a sample from a weird Kendrick Lamar song. These are people saying this. <laughs> people saying this weird stuff. In this room, and the cops are all looking at each other, and they're like, uh, do we really want to go in here? But it is the Italian police job. So they open the door, and what they see, the first thing they go in, it's super hot in there. It's basically my apartment right now while I'm recording this episode. It's super, super hot in there. All the windows have been taped shut. So super, it's like stifling hot. There's cans of solvent. Now, Fabio is from Italy, and he sent me this stuff. And I basically was run through a translator. So when it said cans of solvent, what I think it was was like uh, aerosol canister. They were basically huffing is what the police figured out. Cans of solvent. So I don't know if it's like WD-40. I don't know if it was like model airplane glue. Whatever it was, it was everywhere. And the implication in the article that this family was sky high. I mean, they were blitzed out of their minds, allegedly. <laughs> Anonymous family in Italy, don't sue me. Anyways, the cops were looking around. They're making, this is the quote, they're making these references to Hitler. They just keep going, Hitler, Hitler. And then every so often, one of them would go, I am the goddess of love. And they're just saying incomprehensible things, right? And they're all in their underwear, too. Skip that detail. The whole family, father, wife, and daughter, are in their underwear. In the middle of the room is a Ouija board. And in between saying Hitler and I'm the goddess of love and other ramblings that the police didn't write down, the family's turn, the family members turn, stop talking. They turn, look at the police officers, and go, we are the children of Odin! And run, and they begin fighting in this hot, sticky attic. Attic! They're fighting a family in their underwear. The police are now straight hand-to-hand combat. With, I mean, think about it, dude. You could probably take on the dad, but that little 13-year-old girl, she's like a spider monkey, dude. She'd be like jumping off rafters and stuff, grabbing onto your neck. Joe, look out! She's in a headlock. Got Joe in a headlock. He's like, why did I have to be the pilot for this story? I'm punching. I'm just punching the dad. I'm like, I'll save you soon. First, let me take care of this guy. The cops are going toe-to-toe in the super hot attic. The family's biting them, scratching them, saying, we will exterminate you. Probably saying Hitler a few more times just for good measure. Finally, the police get it under control, drag the family downstairs. They get out of that hot, hot attic. Police win the melee. The daughter gets taken away to like child services, Italian Child Protective Services. And the father and the mother were forced to go to like a psych- psychological evaluation. They were charged with police assault. But they were acquitted. They weren't found guilty for any of that stuff. And they ended up being hospitalized, but there's no record. So this story took place back in 2013, and there's no follow-up. So we don't even know these people's names. Most likely, they just were in the hospital for a bit. Here, here's the, the, This story's creepy for a couple different reasons. One, I had, to come, I had to come to grips with the fact that I can't pronounce the word addict. Attic. So that was always leave a lasting scar on me, too. I have a thing with the paranormal. Treat the paranormal like a gun. Assume it's always loaded. Oh, a Ouija's just a board game. It's nothing. You should always treat 
Every ghost investigation, every Charlie Charlie game, white noise generator, Ouija board, like it's a loaded gun. That it is extremely dangerous and can go off at any time and hurt yourself or anyone around you. It's not something to be goofing off with. That's the second thing. One, I can't pronounce the roof above the house. I can't pronounce that. Two, treat the paranormal like a loaded gun. If you're going to a haunted location, assume someone's going to get possessed. Just assume that. So you can be prepared. For, like, just throw holy water on everybody. Always treat it like you're going into a dangerous situation. Three, this family dodged a bullet, right? I think we can all agree. It's a creepy story. And thank you for the recommendation, Fabio. It's a creepy story. Because this family dodged a bullet. Because not only were they messing with the Ouija board, they were getting high while doing it. Getting high and playing with the Ouija board, you could have had demonic possession. You could have had one of them murder. The other, you could have had some sort of gross family thing, which I think you guys get the implication with that. You could have had all sorts of horrible things happen. Treat the paranormal. First off, and this is rule four, I think we're on. Do not mix substance abuse with paranormal stuff. That's another thing. A lot of people, hey, dude, let's drink some brews and go to the haunted house. Friends from the 1980s. Don't don't mess. If you're frat from Revenge of the Nerds, who were they? Not the Lambda Lambda Lambda's, the other guy. Tripie. It doesn't matter. If your frat buddies want to get drunk and go to the graveyard, smoke a doobie, Say, nah-uh-uh, I only hunt for ghosts when I'm stone sober. So, yes, we've learned a lot of lessons from this. This family really dodged a bullet. Could have gotten really bad, and hopefully they learned their lesson. But since we don't know who these people are, but who knows what happened to this family, they're probably still out there. They're probably looking for another attic to hang out in. Tonight when you're reading a book late at night and you hear Italian footsteps above your head. Huh? What? Those don't sound like footsteps from around here. Those totally sound. Those aren't. They sound like Italian leather shoes on my in my attic. Don't go up and check. Call the police. Because I know how this story ends. Ends with people in their underwear biting me. Call the Italian police. Let's go ahead, Joe. Let's hop back in that carpenter copter. It's so hot in here right now. I'm in my underwear. That's not a meme. I have not joined this cult. It is so hot and sticky in here. So Joe's like, Joe's like sitting in the helicopter. I'm getting in in my underwear. I got my undershirt on. He's like, oh, come on. Seriously, this is the episode. You have us getting bit by a family in their underwear. Now you're wearing underwear. Take us up, Joe. Up, up, and away. We're leaving behind Italy. We're headed out to Russia. We're leaving behind the country that looks like a boot. And we're headed to the country that looks like a big old slab of steak. The good old Soviet Union. I found this story on thinkaboutitdocs.com, which is one of my favorite compediums, compediums, collections of UFO stories. I found this on here. It's Let's take a look at it. It's really interesting. I was recently looking through the entire year of 1990. We saw a massive amount of alien encounters in Russia in the year 1990. Now, we had seen them in previous years, 88, 89, but in 1990 was when we had a ton of cases of aliens making contact with humans and a lot of times they would say would you like to come on our ship and the person would come on the ship and they'd kind of look around and they'd tell this story and the aliens will be like stop using nukes or clean the environment aka boring stuff i would be so man i'd be so disappointed if i met an alien and they sit down and they start talking about the environment i'd be like lame can you at least like i would rather you try to shoot me with a laser beam than bore me to death. And then they're like, okay, here's our boring machine. No, that's not what I meant. That terrible joke aside, we're headed to Russia to take a look at a very interesting story that I think we can use as a springboard for an interesting discussion. So, 
There was a man, we're flying to the year 1990, we're in the served Losk region in the Urals of Russia. There's a, a night watchman named Sanin. He's 60 years old. During the day, he's a carpenter. He's one of mine. He's one of my breed. But at night, he was a night watchman. Now, you, I'm going to give you a detail about him, and you may think that would probably make him a bad night watchman. But in the end, it might have, might have made him the best night watchman ever. He's deaf. He can't hear nothing. So, you would figure, you know, at night, you're, your senses are already compromised. You have to use a light. you got a flashlight. You know, you guys understand how darkness works. You can't see in the dark. You think losing another sense would actually make it more difficult to do the jump. People are sneaking up behind you and stuff. Throwing burlap sacks over your head. Gophers are running away with your carrots. All sorts of stuff. But he was the night watchman, so he was taking care of it. It was like a farm collective. It was his job to keep everything secure. Well, one night he's sitting there. He's just doing his job. He's keeping an eye on those gophers. And a bright light comes down from the sky. (laughs) And he's like, this sucks. Like, he immediately knows (laughs) that this is out of the ordinary. He's not curious about UFOs, none of this stuff. He immediately knows it's about to get real. And what steps out of this glow is three aliens. Uh, You know, a couple grays. You could take them. Me, Joe could probably take two of them. He holds them. I punch him in the stomach. But the third one, (laughs) the third one shoots both of us with a laser beam. Oh, man, I forgot to stop that one, Joe. But... These aliens are eight and a half to nine feet tall. Yeah, you're not going to tangle with these things. <laughs> these aliens start coming out. And the Sanin's like, dude, listen, I'm just the night watchman. Like, I watch stuff at night. They never said anything in the job description about actually stopping anything, let alone giants. So he hides. But then he's like hiding in a big piece of machinery. And the door <laughs> swings open. And he feels this unknown compelling force pulling him towards the light no i'm not going i'm not going he's holding on to the steering wheel his grip starts to loosen Ah! he's getting pulled across the ground he's like no no i'm not gonna do finally though against all odds he crawls away and the aliens look at each other he's crawling he gets away from this beam he runs into the nearby forest oh my god that was close he's laying against the tree oh my god Super nervous, dude. That was close. Okay. I'm safe. There's only one way to cure my nervousness now. Gotta have a cigarette. So he puts a cigarette in his mouth. In the darkness of night. Being pursued by aliens. He's like, there's only one way to cure these blues. A little bit of that flame, flame, click, click. Lights is lighter. The aliens immediately realize where he's at. He goes unconscious. Not the smartest decision, Sanin. But when you gotta smoke, you gotta smoke. Actually, that's not true. If you have to smoke and you're being pursued by the supernatural, don't smoke then. What happens next? Is he's missing for five days. The people in the collective, they wake up the next morning. And they find his food there. They find, like, his equipment. But he's gone. And they're like, that's out of character for him. He's normally eating food and owning things. This is weird. So they begin a search party for him. Five days later, though, in another part of Russia, this truck's driving through the forest, and this dude comes running out of the woods, all sweaty and stuff. Ugh, uh, uh. He's like, stop, stop, stop. Truck stops, he gets in. Dude's like, do you have a cigarette? I'm super nervous. And I have a story to tell you. Now, he goes back to town, and he tells this insane story of what happened. Now, a lot of times people get abducted by aliens. They're sitting on a spaceship. Maybe they remember it, maybe they don't. But sometimes they're given the whole environmental spiel. Sometimes they're medically experimented on. 
This guy had a close encounter of the interned kind. You like that? Does that make up for the boring joke? It does, doesn't it? So what happened? You're like, no, it doesn't. I don't know the context. Okay, I'm going to tell you the context and then then you'll laugh. He was taken to a slave labor camp in the middle of Russia. So what happened was the aliens pulled him into the beam of light. And the next thing he knows, it's daytime and he's sitting in a swamp. And it's super gross everywhere, right? He sm- the first thing he's like, oh man, this super stinks. He said there was a film covering the whole area, right? And he's all grody. I mean, also he's a captive of aliens. I think he was more worried about, oh no, my freedom. Not like, pewee. I thought you were going to take me to a nice smelling prison. He's on Earth. He's in a swamp. And he sees it full of humans. There's actually a ton of humans. There's still some giant aliens walking around. But it's full of humans, and they're walking around like zombies. Not with their arms stuck out, but like robots. And what he's seeing, he sees these humans walking in the woods, gathering berries, twigs, stuff like that, putting them in sacks, and dropping them off in front of the aliens, and then walking away. And he's like, dude, dude, what's going on, man? Like, what's going on? And the people are ignoring him. They're just like zombies. So it doesn't take him long to deduce that they're under the aliens' control. And he starts, over the course, he's there for five days, and he comes up with some interesting analyses. One, everyone's a slave. I mean, that's the most interesting part, right? These aliens are controlling a bunch of people. One, you had a bunch of slaves walking around. Two, you had men and women slaves, but the women had their faces covered with handkerchiefs. So you couldn't see their faces. And more importantly, they couldn't see anything either. But they're still able to expertly navigate the bog. So you have this bog, and then around it is a burned-out forest. I don't know how many. I don't know how berries grow in burned-out forests. Maybe the berries are planted after the fire. I don't know. I don't know nothing about nature, but apparently that's what happened. I guess that's actually equivalent detail. There are alien slave labor camps. I'm worried about how where berries come from. The women had handkerchiefs wrapped tightly around their faces. You couldn't see their face. They shouldn't be able to see out, but they could expertly navigate the bog. Now. They would be just walking across the swampy ground, not slipping, not falling, anything like that, as if someone is controlling them like a puppet. Now, there were metal planks or like metal plating laid across the ground as well that kind of made a gangplank, but they weren't always walking on that. Sometimes you would just be carrying bags of berries, dropping them off at these aliens' feet. There was also another subset of aliens. They were shorter. They were wearing these cowls and like little hoods, like they're little superheroes. And they seem to be controlling some sort of silvery net thing. Which makes me... He doesn't go into a lot of detail of that, but I'm almost wondering if that is some sort of... I mean, I I can make up anything at this point. We don't know, but he said there was some silvery net they operated. I wonder if that was almost like... You know, when military is doing stuff in areas, they'll throw up that camouflage netting. So if planes are just going overhead, it looks like a bunch of bushes are down there. I'm wondering if there was some sort of cloaking. Because it was a big area. It's not like they were sending up helicopters looking for this dude. He was just like a missing dude from the area. He said that the smaller aliens were operating some sort of silvery net thing. He said that you had these people that were acting like slaves. They were completely under control of something else. And then he noticed two piles. Now, generally, piles of anything are not good. Unless you're Scrooge McDuck and you're going to your own house. Whenever things are described as piles... They're normally not good. They're either referring to the piles in your stomach because you can't defecate or piles of of horrible. (laughs) That's horrible, too, but or piles of stuff you don't want. He sees these two piles. One of the piles is freshly dead humans. 
right, right off the assembly line, dead. And it was dead men. There were no dead women. It was dead men. And then, oddly enough, red-headed children. What? That's a weird detail. And it's details like that that either makes me think that this guy is completely insane or telling the truth. That would be a weird detail to lie about. He sees a pile of dead men, adult men, and in that same pile, a bunch of dead redhead kids. No women. He doesn't see any dead women in this pile. And I have a theory about that, a very grim theory, but we'll get into that in a second. You're like, Jason, I have no idea what you could, the madness that you can pull out of this pile, I have no idea what's coming. The second pile was people that he thought had been dug up from graves, people much more decomposed, in a separate pile. So it's not like this was the Monday dead and then they just slowly got rotten. He said that he saw a pile of bodies that was a combination of men, women, and children. I'm so sorry I'm presenting. Joe's like shaking his head. He's like, really, this is the episode I'm on? Sorry, sir. He sees another pile. It's dead men, women, and children. And the alien, and he says it looked like they'd been dug up from the grave. So maybe they were wearing like old Victorian clothing or something like that. He could tell they were super old. He goes, in that pile, the aliens seem to be experimenting on the bodies. So I have a theory here. I have an interesting theory here. What if you have the human men walking around? And then you have the women walking around with the handkerchiefs on their face. My original theory was that we always have stories about aliens banging human women. They go far back to the Bible times. You get stories of the Nephilim coming down. And when I was reading the story originally, I thought, maybe the women had to cover their face because they're so hot that if they didn't have their faces covered, the dudes would want to keep banging them. So instead of that happening, the overseer's like, dude, you can't, you got to stop banging these women. Look at all these illegitimate, super-powered babies that are running around. You got to stop doing that. They had to cover up the women's faces so the dudes weren't getting all like space horny and stuff like that. But then I thought, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Then I thought, what if the reason why there's no dead, freshly dead women, sorry, this is super disturbing. The reason why there's no freshly dead women is because the aliens were taking the corpses of women and turning them into robots and the reason why they wear handkerchiefs isn't because they're super hot. It's because they're super gross and there's like worms and stuff coming out of their face. Now, I have no evidence to back that up. I don't want evidence to back that up. I just think it's interesting that we don't have any women in the freshly dead pile. I can't even believe I'm saying these phrases out loud. And that their faces are covered up. I'm wondering if like the aliens were digging up. the Because they weren't experimenting on the freshly dead corpses. They were experimenting on the grave dug corpses. What if they were bringing women... Like, old dead women and stuff, and then... Oh, my God. Turning them into robot zombies. Okay, what if the aliens are digging up Queen Elizabeth, old, uh, like, old ancient person, like, 1500s Queen Elizabeth. Somehow they got her from England to Russia and then turned her into a robot. Uh, Catherine the Great's walking around picking berries. Anyways, he doesn't... To be fair, Sanon doesn't say any of that stuff. He would turn around and be like, what nonsense are you talking He's just saying he's seen these humans walk around acting like robots. Now, this is the interesting thing about this story, other than the pile of bodies, the slave labor camp, and the aliens. The aliens begin to command him to go pick berries. And he will go off into the forest, and he starts harvesting berries. And then he's walking back, and he starts slipping in the swamp. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Falls on his butt. Berries go everywhere, and the aliens are like, what? He knows the aliens are giving him commands. But they're not working. He really quickly realizes he doesn't have to go into the forest. 
He starts going, no, I'm not going to do that. He's all pretending. He's all hiding in the pile of bodies. They're like, Sanon, we know. Come on, dude. We can see you breathing. You're reading a magazine. We know you're not dead. And he's like, I'm not working for you guys, dude. And the aliens start. These aliens have perfect mental control over this whole group of people, but not him. To the point that he can't navigate the swamp. He can't do things the way that these people, they can be blindfolded, walk perfectly through because who's ever controlling them can see where they're going. The aliens start threatening him and they're like, dude, just pick up berry. Just one berry, bro. One berry and don't slip on your way back. And he's like, no, you pick your own berries. The aliens eventually just stop even paying attention to him. He basically is such a pain in the butt that interstellar travelers are just like, whatever. After five days, a massive rainstorm hits the area. And he thinks, I think it's my chance to get out of here. And he runs away. He gets back. And then he's seen on the road. I, uh, To be honest, I don't think the aliens look too hard for him. They're like, no, stop, please. Come back. Where are your cab? Okay, he's gone. Thank God that guy was annoying. We want to do what we said. It's an interesting thing because it's possible. In this article I was reading, it's possible that the fact he was deaf made it so the aliens' commands didn't work on him. The fact that he couldn't hear them. Like, even though the voices... We have so many times where the voices are in the head. You hear it in your head. He was... Even though he was getting telepathic commands, the fact that he was deaf is possibly why the commands didn't work on him. And what's interesting is we saw in 1990, in summer and fall, in Russia, there's four other stories of people being abducted, of acting like robots, of meeting small... Aliens with little uh, cowls on their head. A group of girls was being kidnapped from a campsite. They were walking like robots through the river until the boys woke them up. There was a mother and her three young daughters who got teleported away and ended up in a field with a bunch of other people. They were acting like robots. She said that she knew she was in trouble. Like she couldn't control her body as she's walking across this field and she saw her young daughter and another group of people being led away with this other group, and she's panicking, but her body was moving. She couldn't control her body, which is more terrifying, obviously. Like, being a slave is awful. Being possessed, having someone else control your body is awful. And then having your own soul being like, I don't want to do this, why am I doing this? Please, no, daughter, come back, come back, and not even be able to shed a tear. Because your body is being manipulated by somebody else like a marionette puppet. That's all terrifying stuff. So we saw a ra- I saw four other cases in Russia in this same time period that had similar incidents. But only Sanin, all of these people, all the other people got away, but Sanin was actually able to resist them for five days. It's intra- and I'm wondering if the fact that he got away from them in the first place, that pulling force that was pulling him towards the light, We've talked before, I did an episode a long time ago, if our gray aliens actually evolved dolphins. And it was the fact that when aliens paralyze you, they're using a sonic attack. Like a dolphin can stun its prey with a sonic attack. These aliens can give you this sonic attack. If you can't hear, that probably won't work. Even though the voice is in your head, if there's still a biological sonic component to them having power over you. He's just like, no, I'm not going to do it. This is lame. I want to go home. And he just waits till it starts raining. And the aliens probably would have let him go home earlier if he had just wandered off. It's an interesting idea because I've come across several stories where people get abducted by aliens. The aliens run a couple tests and go, nah, we can't do nothing with you. And they'll drop them back off at Earth. 
the aliens may, for their technology to work, they may need to have somebody be, quote-unquote, healthy, of typical health. Which, I mean, fine. You get abducted by aliens, and it turns out that you have some disease, and they drop you off. That's one thing. I mean, you might feel a little disappointed. But this guy broke out of a slave labor camp because of his hearing issue. I mean, there's a whole other host of issues going on here. One, alien slave labor camps operating on the planet. He said that the aliens are actually living underground, and they would come up, and they would take all the supplies back underground, and the woman who was kidnapped with her daughter said she was going up and down a ladder. There was a civil... And these are all taking place in Russia, all over Russia, but again, if they're getting teleported around, then it doesn't matter if you get kidnapped in Moscow or get kidnapped in the Urals. It doesn't matter, but... Because they're just going to where the aliens were. But even she described there was an... And these are all coming from different sources. I found them all on thinkaboutitdocs.com. But they got them from different books. Different articles. So even the articles of the time weren't putting these stories together. It's an interesting question because it makes you think... Are the aliens that easy to beat? I mean, it may not be as simple as throwing in some earplugs. But it might be. You know, I'm not saying if a bunch of aliens corner you, pull out an ice pick and start going at your eardrums. Don't, don't, don't do that. But all of this advanced technology, ability to teleport people away, to bring Starcraft across the cosmos, to get into your head. If all of that can be beaten with a pair of $2 earplugs from Rite Aid, bring it on, aliens. It's an interesting story because despite the fact that him being deaf might have made him a bad night watchman, it might have given humanity a hint on how to defeat aliens if the time ever comes. I'll tell you this. I'm going to keep a pair of earplugs on me because if I ever get abducted by aliens and they pull out that PowerPoint presentation on peak oil and greenhouse effect <laughs> while their back's turned, I'm going to put my little earplugs in. The whole time I'm just going to be nodding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a tragedy, man. Sure glad you 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 came across the cosmos to tell me about recycling, bro. Good, good job, aliens, and I'll just be nodding. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.